When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is David Schreiner-Khan. He is host of two podcasts. One is Smashing the Plateau, and the other one is called Going Solo. David and I are going to talk a little bit about the whole kind of question of, as an entrepreneur, should you stay kind of you know, tight and sort of solopreneur focused in terms of how you build your business and expand, or should you bring on people and kind of create a company around that? It's something that I come across again and again with, particularly around experts, you know, people who are, you know, really good domain experts, uh, experts, you know, whether it's technology, legal, accounting, you know, folks that are quite good at what they do and really kind of grappling with this issue of how do I, how do I grow? How do I scale? How do I have my impact? And um, some of the different strategies. So, and David does a lot of work with focus on this whole idea of going solo and the whole idea of building a practice. And we're going to talk about kind of the trade-offs and some of the pros and cons of the different strategies that people have. So I'm excited about this. With that, David, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we kind of dig into the topics and some of the challenges and, and opportunities you see folks have with this, you know, kind of going solo or building a business for themselves, What's it, what's the background? How do you get into this? What was kind of your professional experience? Give us the story. Yeah, like many people, my career was um, was definitely nonlinear. I studied engineering. I worked as a chemical engineer for the first, I don't know, four to five years of my career, uh, two different jobs. And, um, you know, it, it's the, I, I studied engineering because I did well in math and science in high school. It wasn't like there was some great strategy behind it. And um, and honestly, my parents encouraged me to go into the field because it was, quote unquote, um, low risk. You know, something where where you could, um, you know, presumably earn a decent living and, um, you know, live, live a nice lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so that that was kind of how I started out. And my first um, kind of rude awakening came right after I had received my second annual performance review, which was great. 
and I got a big raise. And then a month later, my boss called me into his office. He says, David, I have good news and bad news. Good news is you're doing a good job. The bad news is you don't have a job here anymore. And, <laughs> and I was like, job somewhere else. Oh, right. And I was like, hmm, what did I not see coming? Well, of course, you know, the company I worked for had lost a tremendous amount of business. They ended up laying off, I don't know, probably half the staff. Yeah. And then I started to think about, okay, well, is this really what I want to do? Is this the, the way I want to work? And it wasn't so much the actual kind of work, it was really more the environment. And, and I you know, looked ahead and saw what was going on in the corporate world at that point. There were, there were a lot of restructurings going on. And I saw people in my field who were you know, 30 years older than me, who were getting pushed out when they were a little short of being fully vested in their retirement packages. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if this is really what I want to do for the next <laughs> few decades. Maybe there's a better way to earn a living. Yeah. And and honestly, I had actually thought about being an entrepreneur at that point. I, I grew up in a family that was so risk averse. My parents both earned paychecks. They were never in, in business. I did, really didn't know anybody who was in business. And I thought about it. I kind of looked into it and I just really didn't know enough about it to be able to pull it off. So I did, um, uh, so plan B was a, a little bit of soul searching and actually a professional development program that was super helpful at that point. And I ended up going into the, the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. People, people who knew me thought I was nuts because here, <laughs> you're right. I, I had a master's in chemical engineering from Cornell, like, you yeah. know, great credentials. Um, I had two good jobs. I was well paid compared to most other people. And I'm like, no, like you're taking a pay cut to do something that is a lot of work, seems like kind of a thankless job. Mm-hmm. And and why do you want to do this? And, you know, I, honestly, I, I wanted to do something where I felt like my my work was having an impact on, on humans in a much more direct way than than I was as an engineer. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I actually liked what I did. I mean, it turned out that I actually made a pretty good living at it because I was in executive roles you know, my first job was was in a an organization that was um, sort of very early stage, so there wasn't a lot of money in the first job. But by the time I got to my, you know, so I would say kind of like five years in, I was probably earning, you know, more or less what I had earned as an engineer. Okay. And and I felt a whole lot better about what I was doing, and I ended up staying in that field for over twenty years. And and honestly. All along the way, I thought about this entrepreneurship kind of over and over, and particularly in the nonprofit sector, the people that tend to be on the boards are very often people that are successful in business. So I got to see, you know, sort of much closer up how how all this entrepreneurship thing works, and and I was always intrigued by it. And um, and I'll be honest, you know, even though I liked the work that I was doing, and I liked the environment, I liked the people that I worked with, and I had good relationships with everybody, I really am kind of a control freak, and I just didn't. <laughs> wa- I, I wanted to do my own thing my own way, and so. I sort of, I would say I, I sort of reached a peak in my my last job where I couldn't grow anymore in the organization. It was an education agency. I didn't have a PhD, so there was no way I could be the CEO. I was in a, a number two slot. And um, there was some, some reshuffling that I knew was going to result in, um, how do they, it, it's often called redundancy. It's like, you know, somebody yep. else has the same skills you have. Yep. And again, it was not a performance issue in my case. It was like, I so, sort of run out the clock in 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 the job and so 
it would have been natural for me if I, again, if I pursued the linear path, it's like you come to a fork in the road, the linear path would be, okay, I was doing well, I had good relationships, I could go on and be a CEO of another agency. And of course, I chose the fork less traveled, and I became a consultant. And the, the actual trigger was when when my job ended, not, you know, the timing wasn't my choice, but I did see it coming for a while. So I sort of had planned my exit. But again, I actually did get pushed out, which is a big part of my story. And so I started a consulting business, and this is actually going back to 2006. My business has evolved over the years, in large part through, I would say, kind of networking, relationship building, and content creation. Like you, I'm a, as you mentioned in my introduction, I'm a podcaster. Yep. So um, the podcasting is sort of, it's interesting how when you focus on a particular subject, it often becomes narrower and narrower, you go deeper and deeper. And, and I realized that a lot of what I was dealing with, and this is also my client base kept evolving in this direction too, was really about this idea of experts, solopreneurs, people like me who had been in the workforce for a long time as an employee, developed deep expertise that were mid to high level. They either got pushed out or they left on their own. They started a single person consulting business. And they kept doing the same kind of work for the similar kinds of organizations, but they'd never run a business before. And there are a lot of challenges associated with that, yeah. right? So you have to be able to get your business off the ground. And then once you get it off the ground and, and it's working and you're, you know, you're earning enough money to support your lifestyle, it's like, okay, what's next? Which really fits into the, the mission of your show, which is, okay, what's next when I'm running a single person consulting business? Mm -hmm. A, do I want it to grow? Yeah. And if I do, then how do I grow it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there, therein lies the kind of the crux of, I think most, most people's, I always say with services, they're, they're kind of easy to start. They're hard to scale. Um, or, or maybe, you know, maybe they're easy to start, but they're definitely harder to scale than they are, than they are to start. What do you see as being kind of the challenges for successful solopreneurs? What's the kind of recipe or the key things you need to get right to be able to just get, get the business off the ground? Well, to get it off the ground, if you're selling your expertise, it's really about your relationships. And one of the interesting things that I've heard over and over again from my guests on my podcast, Going Solo, which is about these early stage consulting businesses, mm -hmm. is even people that get pushed out of their job, their first client is very often the company that fired them. Yeah. Because yeah, what happens cool. is if, you're, if your job is terminated for reasons other than your performance, the company still needs some of what you were doing. They just may not need it in a W-2 employee, they may need it in a different format. Maybe they need fewer hours or they need a subset of what you were doing and you have those relationships. So one of the most important things is that when you start, whether you leave on your own or you're pushed out, make sure you maintain good relationships with your last employer and approach them for a consulting gig because you may very well get it and that could be like an anchor to get you go off the ground as a consultant. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of th things you need to do above and beyond just being an expert or, or having a highly desirable skill set, what are the things that you feel like good solopreneurs, you know, have or, or do particularly well that, that helps their business? You know, um, well, one of the most important things is a lesson I learned early on. It was about a year into my business when I joined the business networking group. Mm -hmm. And I realized that although I had good relationships with a lot of people, most of them weren't entrepreneurs. And so you want to be around people that are 
trying to deal with the same kinds of challenges you're dealing with. So if you, again, if you come out of 20, 25, 30 plus years of experience like I did, you're not going to have a hard time producing great results for clients. What you're going to have a hard time with is getting the clients, lead development, prospecting, closing a sale, uh, the whole sales process. For many people, they have never had to manage a P&L. They've never had to manage their, their own, like the business finances. So if, you, you know, if your business is going to be successful as a business, you need to make money. It's not, if you're yeah. not making money, then really it's a hobby. It's not a business, right? <laughs> exactly. So, right? so you've got to understand metrics, particularly financial metrics. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a whole host of, of business issues that you need to understand. You're running a small business. Even if your business is one person, you're still running a business and you need mm -hmm. to know how to do that. So yeah. what's most important, what I learned was most important is being around the right people who can, A, be a sounding board. They can, they can suggest resources that I may need to be able to do something that I don't know how to do. Once they get to know me and know me well, they may be referral sources as well. So hanging around the right people is really important. And, and you need to be in a, a community or communities of people where it's a peer relationship. It's not about everybody selling to everybody else. It's like, how do we collaborate? How do we help one another? And I have found that even when I'm in a, a room, whether it's a, a literal room, physical room or, or an online room of people that are doing what seems like the same thing as me, if it's um, a space with a collaborative culture, everybody does things a little bit differently. And so we all learn from one another and we can help one another. And some of my best business opportunities have come from people that seem like they're doing the same thing as me. Interesting. Yeah, but just, just enough sort of nuance or different types of companies you work for that it ends up being clear that you, you should be doing these projects, they should be doing those projects and you can cross refer. Exactly, exactly. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So, so let's talk about, you know, once you get a successful practice, you know, up and running, you're making money, you've got, you know, some traction, you've got a pipeline. How, what, what are some of the, I guess, decisions that you need to make on how, where, kind of where to take it or, or considerations that you find people make in terms of like, where do I go next? Do I you know, hire people and scale this business? Do I just optimize what I do, keep increasing the rates, you know, and, and so I can kind of be more profitable, but really not grow the, the organization side necessarily? Honestly, a lot of it is personal preference. It's like, what kind of business do you want? How, yeah. many how many hours a week do you want to work? How many weeks a year? How many months a year do you want to work? If you, you know, if you want to have a business where, let's say, you're working nine months out of the year and three months you're off, particularly given the nature of those three months. Like let's say you want to take off July and August and the month of December. You need, you need a business that's, you, you probably need a business model that's going to be project-based so that you can be off, kind of offline for two months at a stretch. And so you could run, run projects September through November and run other projects January through June and not have to worry about July and August. Or if you want to, right, and, and that's if you want to be a solo. If you want to be part of a team, then maybe you want to have a small team that you, you hire and you manage where the team can run everything for mm -hmm. some period of time. And then other parts of the time, 
you're going to be involved or you're involved for only certain things that, that really take advantage of your skill set and your team members take care of other things. Like, again, it, a lot of it is personal preference. There are a lot of different ways to make money with your expertise. So I would say you got to be really clear on on what it is you want, because I see too many people. They develop a business based on what they think they should do, what they see others doing, what they see other, how they see others being successful, and they try to copy that. And then they realize, well, I've just built myself a glorified job. It's not really what I want. <laughs> and I'm my own boss, and, and I, I realize that I suck as a boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so you got to understand what it is you want. There, there are a lot of ways to make money. You can coach. You can consult. Yeah. You, could, you could do paid speaking. There are people that make money just from blogging, right? They yeah. have a successful blog. All they do is blog and they have, you know, they got to have affiliate marketing as part of their blog or sponsorships. And, um, and you can actually make a, a nice living if you do that really well. But again, you got to know what, what it is you want. Some people make money from events, you know, like conferences and, and summits. Some people run memberships and peer support groups. Yeah. Um, some of them sell digital products, you know, like online courses, some people make a lot of money from uh, from joint ventures, you know, where you you cross refer. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a personal preference. Yeah. Are there anything beyond just kind of personal preference? Any any qualities or or things that you see in folks that have done particularly well, either going down more of the sort of solopreneur route, like really optimizing you know schedule and billing rates and times versus those that actually put together teams and actually create more of a scaled business around things anything in terms of you know their skills their background their mindset any any indicators that would that you would sort of advise somebody saying hey look i i would recommend this route or, or i would start thinking about this route versus this route at least to begin with yeah first first is don't sell your time <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I made this mistake right out of yeah. the gate. My right at the very beginning, I remember I, ha I got a really great project that was referred to me and and I charged a daily rate and I made good money with this project as well. Oh, yeah. But but it's a it's limiting and B, there's a conflict of interest with a client. Right. Because it's limiting because you only have so many hours that you can actually work and bill. And the conflict of interest is if you're charging by the hour or by the day as a consultant, it's in your interest, your financial interest for the number of hours to be high. And for the client, it's in their interest for the number of hours to be low. And if you're there to solve a problem with your expertise and, and they have a problem, you yeah. want them to reach out to you when they notice something that you don't see because it'll help solve the problem faster. So you don't want them to hesitate because the, the meter's running when they pick up the phone or send you an email. Yeah. And, um, and again, you, you don't want that conflict of interest. So number one, don't sell your time, sell value. And you know, if, if you have all of these years of expertise that you have developed, you may be able to solve a problem really quickly because of that. And that could be very valuable to the client. So think about how much more money or how much more profit the client is going to make because of your help. Think about how much time you're going to save them. Think about the money you'll save them because they're not going to go down a rabbit hole of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Those are the ways that you can, you, can, you can measure the value of what you produce. For many clients, especially if you're building up a long-term relationship as a consultant, peace of mind and trust end up being really huge. So I have clients that I work with, that I've worked with for years, and there are some months when there's a lot of work, and there's some months where there's 
relatively little work. But the fact that they know that they can pick up the phone and call me when they have a problem and they're not sure who else to call and I can help them, that's worth a lot to them. Yeah. Yeah. And for those folks that, I guess, who do you see or, or what kind of situations do you see having the ability to actually scale into, you know, an organization with teams and, and, you know, more people involved and things like that? Is there anything that you kind of notice either in terms of the person or the types of business? Um, yeah. So when you, so it, it's actually, it's like, you know, the book, The E-Myth. Uh-huh. When you first start out as a consultant, if you're solo, you're the practitioner. You're actually the one who's delivering the goods, yeah. right? If, so if you, if the model that you want to develop is the agency model where you end up becoming the senior person and you're hiring all these people underneath you to do the work, your own role has to shift from practitioner to manager to different skill set. And you're going to be basically in the talent recruitment business because you want to get the best talent on your team to be able to deliver quality results to your clients. And your job ends up becoming primarily manager and rainmaker, if, right? So if that's something that you want, that's great. But if that's not the role you want or it's not your skill set, then you may want to think twice about it. Yeah. What are some of the types of industries or, or types of consulting businesses that you've, you know, end up focusing on or, or people that you've worked with or had on the podcast? Uh, give me a sense of the range or, or maybe some of the more interesting ones. Yeah, I would say they pretty much cover a really wide array of industries. Our niche is really folks that have deep expertise that have worked a long time in some kind of organizational environment, whether it's corporate or the nonprofit sector, um, or even some who have worked for other bigger consulting firms. And then at some point, there's a, there's a trigger that causes them to go out on their own. And then they have to develop their own business and they have to run their own business. So yeah, so our, our niche is really not, it's industry agnostic. It's really about the transition and transformation that an expert goes through from um, being an employee to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious about the podcast. I mean, I mean, I, on your your own experience with podcasts, because I know a lot of sort of solopreneur experts and even, you know, some of these uh, service companies that have really done well with kind of podcasting as a content marketing, you know, lead generation strategy. I mean, wh- why podcasting? How have you seen this help you? Is this something that you recommend for a lot of your clients or how, or the folks that you work with? What's, what's your take on that? Yeah. So my recommendation when it comes to content creation is be prepared to work at it for a long period of time. <laughs> yeah. um, I tell people there are three ingredients that are most important, consistency, frequency, and quality. And in that order, too many people get hung up on the quality and they're afraid to release the first blog post or the first podcast episode or yeah. the first video cast. If you're not embarrassed by the first episode <laughs> exactly. you released, you waited too long. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so be prepared. This is this is a long haul. This is about you becoming known for something something in particular. Um, so that's number one. Second is pick your channel. Like for me, I happen to like podcasting because I like talking to people one on one. I like meeting new people. I'm curious. I love asking questions, and I like the audio format. So actually, we we don't use video. We've only used audio for for the whole seven years that I've been podcasting. And for me, that works just fine. Um, and we've produced episodes every single week for, and now it's almost eight years. So it's, um, yeah. I, again, it, and does the podcast, is it every single episode produce leads? No. Yeah. I would say the most important thing is it builds relationships with the guests and it builds relationships with the audience. Yeah. So 
think about your think about your channel what's easy for you pick one go deep in that one if you like writing maybe maybe you know blogs or now you can do a great job with linkedin newsletters maybe just do a linkedin newsletter consistently try one go deep in it second thing that's that's really important is pick something that is as narrow as possible you know like when i started podcasting our show was much more general than it is now. And again, podcasting was very different seven, eight years ago than it is now. But but now we have a very narrow niche, which is you're, you know, eight, basically age 50 plus, you have deep expertise and you're going from being an employee to being a consultant. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty narrow. And there's a very specific set of problems that we address. And the same thing when you're again with your content, think about what's a narrow problem and a narrow slice of a type of audience that you can address and just keep doing that consistently consistently you'll be and even if you don't know a whole lot about the subject when you start by the time you finish if you do a lot of research and you have a lot of discussions with individuals and you do interviews you'll be surprised how much you know after a period of time so you mentioned this a couple of times this idea of um focus or you're finding a niche like how i guess define kind of a niche for me when you're working with folks or when you're kind of thinking about particularly the solopreneur or expert kind of solopreneur and how, I guess, how narrow does that need to be? How does one find that? Cause I think that I've, I agree, but I think it's always a challenge for folks to really figure that out. It is very much a challenge. The best way to do it is actually to do market research, you know, have a hypothesis. I have a client that does writing for non-native English executives. Interesting. Right. That, mm -hmm. That's a pretty narrow niche. And yeah. this is somebody who's really talented, could write for all, you know, all kinds of, could write books, could write web content. But in terms of what you're being known for in your marketing, pick something really narrow because people will understand that and they'll either know they're in or they're out. Yeah. And what are some of the steps? So do, do the market research and then how, like, what what is some good evidence that you're validated? Is it like literally people are hiring you with money? Is there, uh, like, what are some of the things that that tell um, you you're on the right track. Yeah, people hiring you with money is really great. <laughs> That's a great metric. Cash, cash um, in the bank, yeah. I, I, you know, I'll give you an example. We started a, a paid membership community for consultants that have a long history of working first as an employee. Yeah. And honestly, we did plenty of market research. The podcasts alone are, are plenty of market research. And many, many people told me, oh yeah, this is something that's needed. We all feel so alone. Yeah. Um, we would really love to be able to, you know, get feedback on what we're doing, be in a safe place, da da da. And did I know for sure that this was going to work before people actually signed up and paid yeah. money for it? No, yeah. you don't know till the cash is in the bank. Yeah. Well, then, then people can say they're going to buy something, but you don't know if they're actually going to buy something. Exactly. I'm sure you've experienced this many <laughs> times too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of good intentions, but right. a lot of tire kind of, kickers. Yeah. Exactly. David, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the podcast, what's the best way to get that information? Smashingtheplateau.com. That's where both podcasts are. You can learn about our membership community there. You can get in touch with me there. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. I am the only David Schreinercon in the world. Pretty easy to find. Um, and since we produce a lot of content, if you search my name, you'll find me really quickly. Yeah. So I'll make sure that the uh, the links and your uh, LinkedIn uh, profile are on the uh, show notes so people can get that information. Highly encourage everyone to check it out. David, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. 
To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.